Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour. Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zargis. We're bringing you the latest news in Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. We'll also inform you of the latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to teaching in the classroom or a seasoned vet, we are here to help. When we come back, we will catch you up on the past week's news with In Case You Missed It. In case you missed it, last week we posted about blogs on our blog. This week we actually focused on discussion boards. So the entire post is talking about the history of using discussion boards and how to use them in the classroom and different ways that I myself, when I was teaching, used them. Uh, There's a few good tips and tricks, but my favorite tip of all is one that I remember dealing the most with when I first started using discussion boards, and that is teaching the students to avoid using emoticons and texting language as it's not academic nor really appropriate for the type of writing that we're doing. So check it out. The blog post is there. The blog post coming up the following week will be all about comparing the two tools, discussion and blogs. Sounds great, Mike. Great tip. In case you missed it, last week we heard from several people who were running into problems using MySPS. When they chose instruction and then resources, usually they can click on sub-department and filter down to specific content documents. This was not working properly last week, but I'm happy to say it's functioning properly now. Well, I'm glad that's working as we've had a lot of teachers looking for documents. Also, in case you missed it, Anytime OITA puts out news or there's something going on that we want you to know about, if you go to my SPS department's OITA, there is a announcements feed there. There you'll find the latest updates for the entire district using technology. So make sure you sign up to get those in your emails. That's it for in case you missed it. Coming up next, hot takes. into this week's hot take. Suzanne, what's your hot take for this week? My hot take this week is an article by Angela Myers. I was not familiar with Angela Myers up until last year when I was fortunate enough to attend the D2L Brightspace Fusion conference and she was a keynote speaker. Angela Myers has spent 25 years as an educator and she is passionate in her pursuit of literacy and learning. She's had a wonderful variety of experiences, including classroom and university teaching, instructional coaching, research, writing, publishing, corporate training, and launching a global movement. What I loved about Angela Myers was her ability to 
inspire. I think today with education being as busy as it is with so many high expectations for all of our students, it's very easy for teachers, young and old, to lose track of why they became a teacher to begin with. They lose that passion. And Angela has the ability to reignite the passion and love of teaching for so many people. So I found this article on um, trustedk12.com, and it is about what's next for education, three big mindset shifts for education. It's not a long article, but what jumped out at me in this article, Mike, was uh, her number one point, that technology doesn't change the world, people do, especially teachers. With our push for technology today, which is a challenge for a lot of people, I thought that was a great reminder to every teacher in the district that yes, we're pushing technology, we have very high expectations for our students to use technology effectively, but it's the people that matter most in the end. The teachers are the people who have the relationships with the students and they're going to inspire them to be their best. Yeah, I liked that part too, especially, it's probably my favorite part of the article because as a teacher, one of our responsibilities is giving the students the experiences they need so that they can be successful later on. Teachers are experienced designers. That's what we're good at. That's how we inspire students to do better. With the experiences that we give them, we hope that every grade from kindergarten all the way up to senior in high school all of these experiences help make them a more well-rounded adult. And with the influx of technology in school, hopefully that makes our job as um, experienced designers a bit easier. Um, as we spend so much time looking at curriculum, planning the curriculum, saying these are our lessons for the week, but we have to remember that they might be lessons that we're writing, but it's experiences for the students. And that's, it's not some academic, I'm gonna go from this planning book and what I say from the planning book is what's gonna translate into the students gaining knowledge. The way that they gain knowledge is through experience. Exactly, that's how they're going to remember anything and everything that a teacher is trying to get across. It has to make sense to them, it has to be applicable to their daily life. And what's different today from when I went to school, and I, even though I'm a lot older than you, I think probably different from when you went to school, is that with the accessibility of information everywhere, schools are no longer places to learn scarce knowledge. This is directly from Angela's article. Um, information is available at every student's fingertips. So the value of schools, and particularly teachers, is to support students in their journey to, to discover how the world works and what their role in it is. What this made me think of is actually the purpose behind most homeschooling, quite frankly, is that it's a whole personalized learning. And many homeschoolers, in all the articles that I read, uh, they spend time designing what the students are going to learn based on their the students' experiences, and those experiences come from what the students want to learn. If they're passionate about it, they'll learn it. But it all comes back to this idea of experience. Not experience like, 
hey, I've learned from at a young age not to walk across the road without looking. Not that kind of experience, but the experience of we went on a field trip today into the national park and we got to see all these great things. And now I want to learn more about this. That is one of the ways that we help personalize experience. Yes, there are skills that we need to make sure that all students know. They need to know how to read. They need at least basic math. It would be good if they had more. Um, they need to know how things work. Like I throw an apple in the air, it's going to fall. Like why that happens. We need to know where we are because I don't know about you, but recently I took a trip with my wife and we were trying to trust that the GPS knew where it was going. And every two seconds, it was telling us to make a turn because we missed a turn, even though the original direction said to stay straight on this road for five miles. So, like, we need to have that sense of understanding geographically where we are, too. And so these are all things that we inherently learn over time based upon our experiences. And I think that comes back to this whole personalized education and technology works into that. Because there's a plethora of tools out there that help us personalize the learning for the students. Whether it's assigning books to read or designing the math to move at their pace. There's just so many different options out there to do this whole personalization. Exactly. But you can't do any of it without that relationship between the teacher and the student. The teacher is still the guide. The teacher is still the most important person that the student is going to look up to. And uh, we can't lose track of that. I agree. So what else is in this article? This was my favorite part. So I'm curious to know what else you found interesting. Well, that was that was the most important part to me. Uh, she does end the article, um, again, reiterating the fact that we have to reaffirm a teacher's value. And I think, again, with all the expectations for teachers and students and life being busy and a school day being busy, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that it's that relationship that is going to drive a student's passion for learning. If a teacher models a passion for learning, then the student's going to do the same. That is very similar to what we talked about last week with the whole growth mindset. Exactly. So if we're doing, if we're practicing what we say with the students watching, then they will in turn internalize it and say, you know what, my teacher, who I believe knows everything, I don't know how many times when you were teaching, the students said that to you. Oh, you know everything, miss, or you know everything, mister. Right. And we don't, do we? But no. we need to model that we're willing to find out. And that's the growth mindset. So the other thing that I actually, with your article, that I found interesting was this idea that leaders need to say no to everything except what matters. I feel like there's times when, even like when I was teaching, I would be like, I want to do this. 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 And some of those things, they were important. And some, they were because I believed that that would be best for the students. And then to turn around and have different programs come down the line. And at some point with everything, you have to be like, no, I need to stick with what is important. Exactly. And I think knowing That's how to say no 
to some things is good. And that's not an easy task, is it? No, it is not. Again, it's another opportunity, though, to model for our students. When you have multiple demands, multiple expectations, how do you handle that? How do you manage all those different choices and wanting to do so much with so little time? So if you're listening out there, that's one of our questions of the week. Send us comments. What do you think in this aspect? Let us know. So my hot take for the week is all about students critiquing one another's work to raise the quality bar. So this was an article I found on MindShift, like I used last week. This is a very good website, lots of great knowledge in there. But what I found interesting is when I was a teacher, this was one thing that I constantly struggled with trying to get the students to do, is to be able to critique one another. Especially early on, it's all about, especially with writing, like having the students read each other's work and be like, the only comments they would get back is like, oh, that was really good. Like, you don't want to hurt your friend's feelings. And so this article really jumped out at me. as like, oh, I wonder what they did that is different than what I did. Um, so we're always trying to help students bring up their quality of work. Um, critiquing is always difficult. And so the article talks about some schools that are trying to instill this into students instead of focusing on the the end product um, that is given to teachers, they focus on figuring out how to create that cycle of work where it's just not a constant, I complete something, I hand it to the teacher, teacher gives me feedback, I don't read my feedback, I move on. Because I felt like in my time teaching, that was one area that I really could have used some help in improving. So one of the things that's, they talk about in the article is this thing called peer critique. Students following clear protocols that remind them to be kind, be specific, and be helpful in the feedback that they give to peers. And I really like that it was that simple, the way that they broke it down. A lot of times the students, when I would teach, they would focus on the being kind, but they weren't specific and they weren't helpful. So I don't know about you, Suzanne. What about you? I love the article, Mike. I'm so glad you found it. Uh, Along with the be kind, be specific, and be helpful, what I loved that they stated in here was that students start doing the peer critique protocol in preschool. That, I think, is the key to it all. And uh, again, I can tell you I'm fortunate enough to have been in a first grade classroom in a different district where there was a fabulous, fabulous teacher And in her writing portion of that classroom, she had all the students, first grade, in a circle, critiquing each other's writing. And she had all the tools available for them to be specific, be kind, and to just start that whole process that this is your first draft. This is not final product. Read it to the class, see what they think, and improve upon it again and again and again. I think if you don't have it from that young of an age, it's more and more difficult to change students' habits. There's so much that goes into writing. Writing's a very personal trait. And of course, everything you write, you think is awesome. So to accept feedback from your peers that it might not be as awesome as you think it is, is not easy. So I think the younger you start, the better off you are. But uh, I love the whole idea. Yeah, I mean, that for me, that was like the poof 
mind-blown moment for me was they started in preschool. Preschool. And I think about my four-year-old at home who's in preschool. And I think about when we try to do things together and play games or he's working on something and I'm being kind and I'm trying to be specific about different things and he just loses his mind because he's four. But that they started so young and that culture was built from the beginning. And I think, um, especially in a district as large as ours, where students are constantly moving, where teachers are constantly moving, being able to build that solid foundation that, hey, all these schools, this is what we're doing. And then as those students move up through the schools, they continue on. I think it's easier to be accepting of anything that is not, as you put it, awesome of your own work. And it doesn't even matter if it's writing. It could be in what you did in math. It could be uh, what you did in art. It can be in the write-up to your science project. Or, you know, I have a blue duck. Have you ever seen a blue duck? Only one that's been in through a paint. So it's the idea that's, um, it's almost like, again, in these articles that we've read this week, it's like a growth mindset type of approach is that right now it's not my best. And I know that's with the, one of the writing curriculum sets from being in the district that we've used, um, the traits writer, they have some stories in there where they have authors who talk about how it took them. 50 rewrites to write this wonderful book and i know in teaching those times students are like they spend 50 times and like this was like a picture book with probably a sentence or two per page and there's about 20 pages in the book and they're like they spent 50 rewrites on this like they students couldn't even believe it like i'm sure they're like i'm sure it was probably good on the first one right so what does that speak to that big P word, right? Perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. It's not perfect the first time. You've got to keep at it, editing, rewriting, starting over, accepting feedback and working collaboratively with your peers. And it's also getting rid of the I'm done statement. That was the biggest thing I, when I, my last couple of years of teaching, I tried so hard to do was get rid of the I'm done my work. I would respond with, is this your best work that you're putting forward? And sometimes the students would say yes. And sometimes it was their best work. Other times they would say yes, and it wasn't. That's the piece that I had the, the, the most uh, challenge with, with finding a solution or understanding the solution, right? Because that, that thought of I'm done goes along with I'm done first. And with so many students, they want to be the first one done. They want to go on to something else. They want to say they were the first one to finish. And I don't have the perfect answer how to, how to change that um, other than practice, right? Every grade, every subject to accept that your first effort is not your final effort. But um, any suggestions for that are welcome. How do you get past that competition mindset to be the first student done in the class? Let us know. Also, the other thing with this article, I like the fact that they even like honed in on the teachers also doing the same thing. So when the teachers would come together during their PLC times, 
I'm going to call it PLC. I, I don't know what they called it. And there, the article didn't say other than when teachers would come together and look at student work, which for us, that's our PLC time. And so they would actually follow that same protocol of be kind, be specific, uh, especially the be specific part and the be helpful as it's not helpful to say, yay, great job. I remember that's one of the things I learned when I was in school to learn to become a teacher was don't write great job on papers without having something that you're pointing out that exactly was a great job. And I know that that can always be difficult, especially when you teach one subject and you have 200 students that you see every other day and you're like, oh, I don't want to write another comments. You almost want like a stamper that can like have specific comments that you can just stamp on the pages and make it so much easier. But we wouldn't really be critiquing the work anymore. We would just be looking for a quick fix. Exactly. And, and think about, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but right. think about how do you feel when you've done some work and all you get is great job. You feel good. You, you feel pretty good. But how do you feel compared to when somebody says, great job, I love the way you, and then outlines five different details as to what you did fabulously? I mean, you'll feel better. The students will feel better when, when this type of stuff is happening. And I think that's one of the things the article is getting at. Um, after this podcast, if you want, we'll have the links at the bottom of the page and you can check out. They even had some really great videos that kind of showed teachers doing this and teachers doing this with preschoolers and kindergartners, which again, it blew my mind watching these kids like have critical feedback to give to each other and not stomp off upset and slam classroom doors or start yelling, mine is perfect. Like it was really cool to see. And so I encourage you to check it out. So these are our hot takes for the week. Coming up next is our interview with Denise Cardona and her students. SciTech and presented at our technology symposium back in March along with some students. I was so impressed by these students not only by the fact that they were willing to present at this technology symposium but also by their ability to speak well and intelligently and enthusiastically about everything they're learning and doing in high school. Very, very impressed. I'm sure you will be too. I hope you enjoy it. Good morning. Here we are on our podcast with the We Learn Technology Symposium. Yay. Hi, my name is Denise Cardona. I am a teacher at the High School of Science and Technology. My role as a teacher is to teach um, technology, web page design, computer repair, and computer graphics. 
and I'm presenting Brightspace, focusing on assessments. And you have some guests with you? I do. I have some students here that <clears throat> represent the senior class, and they helped me today um, present Brightspace assessment. And their names are? Francesca Bethel, student at SciTech. Jade Cross, senior at SciTech. Kenneth Asama, senior at SciTech. Anderson Wynn, senior at SciTech. Excellent. I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Francesca Bethel. Thank you. And had you used Brightspace last year as well? Or yes. is this your first? I used Brightspace last year for my AP Biology class. Everything that we did in that class was on Brightspace, all of our assignments, quizzes, homework, and a lot of our lab assignments were on Brightspace as well. How did you feel about that? Was that a new experience for you? It was a new experience, but it was more convenient as a student instead of having so many packets and papers to hold on to and lose it accidentally. I would have everything on the internet and say if I was missing school that day, I would have it at home for access to do any missing assignments. Excellent. Um, I would like to add something to that as well. It prepares us for the col uh, college uh, curriculum as well because college, everything is basically online, your assessments on walls, everything. Because from past experience, last summer I took a dual enrollment course at STIC, um, doing homework online, tests as well online. It actually, Brightspace prepares you for the college. Alright, so tell me about your presentation. I thought it went well. <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, participants, a lot of good questions, and I have one takeaway, and that one takeaway was um, <clears throat> putting a student self-assessment on a project on Brightspace so the students can evaluate their project before the teacher does, and now that allow the teachers to um, evaluate the student and then go back to see how the student evaluated themselves doing the project base. And were your participants enthusiastic about what you had to offer? Yes. <laughs> Tell me about your role within the presentation. Oh, so uh, I guess I'll start. Um, one of my roles during the presentation was kind of helping out with some teachers that were having some errors or some issues and um, answering some of the questions that they had had. Um, it came to, well, one of them that I had came to, the person had said, uh, is there a way that they can have students have access to this um, so that they can make their own assessments to give to, let's say, other students for, um, let's say, a project or something like that. And we kind of, it took a while for us to maneuver it that way, um, but it was a little tricky, but we still got it done so that students can basically make assessments for other students to do. Um, they just need to have get access given through Brightspace or whatnot, but it'll still work that way so that they can have different uh, teaching plans that way. How did you feel being more of the teacher as opposed to the student? It was very different because from the side of the student on Brightspace, we don't see the layout you guys see. So when we had Ms. Cardona presenting, it was more of like, wow, they have so many tools that they can use. There's, I didn't even know they, they could do that. They had like multiple choice, 
long response, short response. So it was really informational. Kind of felt weird because, like, for being a teacher for once, like, like you're teaching teachers, like, it's it's like kind of weird, like, oh, that's a difference in power. Oh, I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And how did uh, the teachers respond to that? Were they open to having students teaching them? Yeah, the teachers they were really um they're really productive and nice about it. Uh, they really appreciated the help that we were giving, and they were always responsive. Um, they were constantly asking back and forth questions, which was also helpful because it taught us the same way it taught them. Um, and troubleshooting with them had really opened up new doors for us, and probably for the whole uh, use of Brightspace as it is. Can you give some examples of how you would like to see Brightspace being used in the classroom? Um, I would like to say, uh, like I said, uh, assessments is a great way for um, using Brightspace. Like kids uh, can take tests online so that teachers could easily grade them because the system will generally um, generate the, um, the number percentage on statistics on who got it right, as well as like um, lesson plans. You could uh, go, uh, teachers create folders for each lesson they want to teach that day and the teacher, a student could just click on that lesson and just view it and then go with what the teacher's listening and keep those notes in a portable way that's like a cloud. Another way teachers could use it is for homework because I know from my experience, my math teacher, he uses it for homework a lot. And what he does is he sends us home and when we sign on Brightspace, we have two different things to click on for homework. We have a video that shows us how to go through the homework and then we have open response to do it on our own and give it in class. So that's really helpful too. I feel like even though it's convenient for students, it's equally convenient for teachers, especially how it was shared in the presentation, how they are evaluated by administration and just by Brightspace, they can pull up the class reports for every single student, how their progress has been, students on IEP who need even more help, they can see how well they've done or if they need that push or extra time to do assignments, homework, and tests, and that can be evaluated with the teacher and the administration and see what else can be done and what else new innovations can be brought in with Brightspace to help out that class or the school as a whole. And kind of piggyback on that one a little bit um, with the statistics. Uh, my younger brother actually goes to a school outside of the system, but um, they kind of have a similar Brightspace kind of website and what they they've been using the same kind of tools and everything to really push them more towards um, park testing and it's he scored at around 97% which is in the higher percentile of it and he really had a lot of um, support from his website that his school had been using to really boost them up to there and Brightspace is practically exactly like that so there's no reason why we shouldn't have exactly as where they are at right now or to get there I'm sorry and the website has a lot of ways to get in and out. So it's like, from what I learned in the presentation, because now we're looking at it from the teacher side. So what I learned is that when you click on quizzes and you really go into the down drop box, you'll see like statistics, grades, and with particular tests, you can see what the student got wrong. Every individual student and the students as a whole. So it's really cool to be able to compare those things and see what the teacher needs to work on. If it were possible to uh, provide you with a platform where you could create a course of your own. Uh, how do you envision that course being used, whether it's something for another teacher or for other students in your school? What would you do with a course if you had complete control 
to create it? Now that you've seen it from a teacher's point of view and the tools that are available, how would you use it? Um, I would use it as a way to teach yourself, like to re-teach re yourself as well as teach other students as a way of you learning, um, both people learning both ways so that you're able to teach students that are having a difficult time, like tutor, be a, a peer peer um, mentor tutor, that's a good way. Um, making your own curriculum, like uh, teaching them like whether uh, you how to do it, make it easier for them as well. How much time do you have within a daily schedule uh, to allow you to go to different teachers' classrooms to possibly help them with any Brightspace issues that they may be having? I'll answer that. <clears throat> it happens in, in my class a lot. I'll get a phone call um, either from Brights due to Brightspace or some kind of technology issue, and I'll send them out. And I, I, I look to see who I have in that class and send somebody out that has the experience solving that problem or maybe just a little knowledge and that would be a great practice. So it's, uh, it's really handy and you know, students know how to handle technology problems probably better than most teachers. So it's, it's cool and it gives a, the, um, a different perspective for um, teachers. They'll say, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know you know that. Just like that uh, person from Putnam yeah, today. Yeah, Putnam teacher. He was so excited. He, you know, he asked Kenny um, uh, a, a question, and he was like, like proud. You know, I think today was a, a really good indication of how proud our teachers are of, of our students because, oh my God, they get it. So that's that's great. It's really nice. Funny enough, he gave Anderson a job there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's with his sheets and everything. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What would you tell uh, any of your friends or teachers who are reluctant to use technology in the classroom? I would tell them to stay engaged. Um, technology is constantly changing, and I, I, we see that day in and day out. Um, with it being like our phones or even like our computers, uh, things should be changing in the classroom, and they are changing in the classroom. So we should just try to keep up with all of that um, and try to make everything, um, well, everything is accessible, so we should try to use what's accessible to us to its full capacity. And what advice do you have for teachers who are not comfortable with technology and may be easily frustrated when something doesn't work? the way they expect it to? Uh, I would say uh, give it a try. If you need help, uh, ask some students for help, uh, like us. We ask us for help because we can help you out to understand very easily. And to add to that, I would say don't be afraid to ask questions because just like Anderson said, questions are what are, what can, are what's going to help you. So it's just ask as many questions as you can because if you're just sitting there confused and frustrated you're not going to get anywhere at all. So they're not supposed to sit there feeling that everything is going to work perfectly that they need to get it right the first time. Exactly. I have a question. Uh, Fran, 
what kind of student were you in the beginning of our class? What did I need help as a teacher that I didn't have much experience and then you became my go-to girl for a special application online in office? It was Sway in, yeah, in Microsoft Office. I actually did a presentation to our entire computer repair class on how to use Sway because many students, even some teachers didn't even know how to use Sway as a presentation tool besides PowerPoint and Prezi. It's way more convenient, but it you can only do Sway in Microsoft Office. So unfortunately, if you don't have Microsoft Office, you can't get into Sway or upload or download a Sway onto your computer. I know you're all probably very busy every single day. If it were at all possible, for you to do a presentation as you just described to a group of teachers at your school, would you be willing to do that? I would be willing to do a presentation to my teachers at school so they can gain the knowledge that we have or even if they have their own skills or tools that they use, they can even teach us some of the tricks of the trade or the different stuff that they know. I wanna make a comment. It's students like this that allow teachers to try and not worry about failing because they're open and they're willing to help. So that also helps new teachers who are you know, very um, low in their technology skills able to ask the question because they're not feeling like, oh wow, you're a teacher and you don't know this. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that or any other teacher complain because usually they're more than willing to help us. That's the way of the world. Do you have friends or are you aware of other students who are afraid of technology in the same way that some adults are? Or does every single student feel completely comfortable with all things technology? I feel like with every student it varies because the majority of teenagers from what I've seen we're more into social media so when it comes down to social media everybody knows how to text their friend or retweet something but when it really comes to trying to save a file or like convert maybe a PowerPoint to Microsoft Word and use Acrobat it's like well what's going on so I feel like a lot of teenagers or just kids in general can relate I say teenagers can learn, but they only know the skin of technology. They don't know the deeper inner what it really is. Like, oh, oh, wow, there's other stuff you can do. Uh, like PowerPoint. Oh, you got effects. They just just know the slim skin of it. Would you also be willing to present uh, the knowledge that you have to fellow classmates? Yes, I would like to because sometimes. Uh, in, for example, in class, I help around um, underclassmen, freshmen, on how like to do um, a storybook, how to make a storybook presentation, uh, give them advice on what they should do, and how to use the software correctly. What's your experience in how people learn about technology? Whether, and by that I mean, do you find that most people learn by watching a video, or that there is an equal amount of people who watch a video or need to read a manual to understand the steps in how to 
Well, I feel it kind of throws in uh, three different factors. It's um, the watch, read, and the do. Um, these three things are basically the best way to teach a student because not only are they like seeing it, um, but when they actually touch it, then the, maybe they're feeling it a different way and saying, oh, maybe this will work a tad bit better than that. And whereas you come to the read with like, let's say a manual or whatnot, that'll give you like maybe another focus, uh, another perspective if anything. So if you combine all three of these components, um, it's really the easiest way to learn things. Uh, and that's really what kind of flows in with some of the presentations that um, I know that we've done in the past. When I was presenting Prezi to a couple of uh, underclassmen the first time, I actually had each of them grab a laptop so they can also make one on the side while it was presented with them. Um, and it gave them a guideline as well. And if they ever had any questions, they would always just come to one of us and ask that way. So we always had everything right there in front of them. So it really gives you, um, it gives you the backbone along with everything coming with it. It uh, holds it together for you, so you're never like slipping through the cracks or whatever. Definitely, I agree with that. And from my experience being in computer repair, I've really noticed like the way that I learn personally, like learning about what a processor does versus actually seeing the processor within the computer really does make a difference. Learning what it does and actually putting it into action and putting a computer together, it's like it's a really amazing experience. So. A great example of that, and this is so true, and I know you're going to smile when you hear this. When I think Jade really got that message when she was forced to, as a final exam, she was forced to open up the computer, take out certain parts, identify the certain part, and then put it back together. And I think that that was like the light went on, she just realized it. And I think that was a turning point because I think that that's what made you really like the class. I just, I, you know, just her facial expression. And uh, and then having success, it was like, that's it, she's sold, right? It was, it was pretty awesome. Cause it's like, you know you failed the test if the computer does not turn on. So when the <laughs> computer like, like it just blinks on and you see Dell, it's like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> To the, uh, the girls, what would you say to female students in first, second grade who may say as their first response, I don't like math, I don't like computers, I don't like technology, I don't like science? I would probably use social media as an example or I'll probably like talk about what we even see on TV because even that involves technology and I would really encourage them to really open up and really look into it because before that class I didn't even think I had any type of interest in technology and early I remember presenting out and I was like I want to get into business and information technology and that's due to Ms. Cardona so I know I was one of those people that was like I would never get into STEM and the major that I want to go into college is fashion merchandising I'm like I don't need math and science but now using math and science and being in Ms. Cardona's computer repair class, I see how I can integrate the two by doing something completely different than people might not have done before, like putting a website out there with a portfolio and just having that component, component of technology gives my major that extra push that people might not have seen and hopefully will change people's views on, yes, females can be a part of the STEM career and hopefully change the face of the STEM career. And definitely being a teenager um, 
and a female working with technology, being like a girl of all trades, really give you that leverage in the business world too. So, I'd like to add something. It's there's a need for diversity in the STEM field as well because there's a need for female. A lot of people, a lot of companies would like females to work in the STEM field, and there's a lot of job opportunities of girls wanting to uh, do a research lab or something in the STEM field. So if you, uh, it's a really good chance of getting a job, a really high chance of getting a job in the STEM field as well for females. Thanks, Ms. Wynn. <laughs> Just to add to that, um, surprisingly enough, since there's such a high demand for females in the STEM fields, they actually have a higher um, wage rate as of right now, uh, which is also amazing. So get on to that, ladies. <laughs> Do you all plan to go on to college? Yes. Yes. Can you tell me what you plan on majoring in and how you see technology? Uh, so far, I'm thinking about majoring in physiology or biology, uh, doing pre-med. I say technology is very important in the medical field now because now we're able to use robotics to do sur um, uh, surgery. So it's very amazing to see that and I hope to and learn about those technologies and perform those type of surgeries. Uh, I'm going to be majoring in human biology with a uh, minor in communications. So um, for almost all of my assignments, as I've learned from one of my older siblings, um, under a biology major, you're going to be on a computer almost 24-7. Um, and then when you're not on a computer, you're going to be hands-on with maybe looking at or some like organs or something like that or trying to make a uh, an example of it or a 3d model um so you're always touching or using technology in that sense of way and then my minor uh, communications communications um a lot of what it is is it's in the it branch so you're always on a computer some way or some form i'm interested in business and information technology and i feel that technology would be in that because it's in the title and also because knowing how to work on multiple programs within your business field like say for example I worked at Mass Mutual I would have I know definitely I would have a lot of programs to work in and look at people's records or try to troubleshoot what's going on so I feel like that would be useful um, I'm gonna go to school for fashion merchandising so with that it's not that techie kind of major but I would like to integrate technology and making a website for everything that I create, putting it on there and getting it out to people in hopes that they'll do the same thing and push more towards the techie side and I'll also be creative at the same time. And there are a lot of applications out there for you to do your design on a computer. Definitely. Is there anything else you would like to offer before we conclude this podcast? I would like to say technology is the new future. The best thing to do is keep learning and keep yourself up to date. Try your best. If you need help, just ask for help. Um, mine is always stay in the loop. Uh, I actually bought my own iPhone 7 just so I could like literally break this phone first. Um, with just going through all of like the schematics of it and everything so I know the phone like it's the back of my hand because um, I'm gonna see this day in and day out and same thing with any piece of technology I'm going to use technology is becoming the way of the future you're gonna see everything 
in some way or form some type of technology so you should be able to know how to use it how to apply it and how to apply it to your daily life because it's there's it's so vast i'm sorry ask questions ask as many questions as you can ask your aunt your uncle your co-worker even your son your daughter just look for your answers knowledge is power and like kenny was saying companies and people are becoming paperless so everybody should become educated on it might not be the most high-tech thing but everybody should be educated on something technical so they have some kind of background with everything and technology whether you know it or not it's okay to make a mistake you learn better when you make the mistake and fix it and you're able to transfer that sort of negative experience to a positive experience and easier to teach somebody else. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, maybe I will talk to you again in the future. And look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. Thank you. You guys. students talking about technology and like what they were doing in the classroom and how they could help teachers it was awesome they were all really well spoken i completely agree i'm glad you were as impressed as i was one of the things i really liked was um i don't remember the student's name but they made the connection not only to if they were out sick like they could keep up with their work which is hugely important at any grade level but also the connection to their future. That one student who was taking in their junior year, the like summer, they were taking like the college class at stick. And they're like, yeah, everything was online. So this is helping me be prepared for college. When we think about being college and career ready, we think about most of the time the academic side of it. But really, there's this whole other world that we're preparing students for right now because of our use of Brightspace and the other tools in technology so that when they do leave us they're ready and if i remember correctly i think winnick uses brightspace too so i mean for any students who go from springfield public schools to winnick it'll be a very seamless transition for them which is really awesome to think about that we are helping them be more successful when it comes time for college exactly i think it's it's just great to remember it for both teachers and students, that Brightspace is a tool that will help them in, in many, many ways. I would love to see that group of students hold classes uh, at their school or throughout the district. Yeah, the fact that they were like teaching teachers how to use Brightspace, I think that's another thing. Like, as a district, we've had this is our third year of using Brightspace, the second year of really the early adopters with Brightspace kind of like taking off with it. And this year is like the first year where it's really widely used. So these students may only have had one year, one and a half years maybe, of solid use of an online LMS. And here they are teaching teachers how to use it. 
Right. And I loved how they wanted to already make assessments for their peers so they can very easily help their teachers answer any questions they may have and find new ways to use it within their classroom. I like how Miss Cardona, when she gets phone calls, would just look at her class and see who's in there and then pick the students that would best be able to go help that teacher answer the questions. That really talks about like a lot of the great things that they're doing over at SciTech. Absolutely. All the, the skills that they're learning by doing that, uh, it just goes on and on. One of the things that, that a student said that I absolutely loved was when they referred to the process of troubleshooting, they equated that to opening new doors. What a great mindset that is. They have to troubleshoot a problem. It's not this horrific event. It's opening new doors. They couldn't wait. They were looking forward to it. Yeah, I know. There's just so many good things about that interview. Um, one of the things I really liked was about the students. Um, the I think it was one of the young ladies who talked about teaching her classmates how to use Sway. I'm like, as a big Microsoft proponent that I am, having a student teach students and teachers how to use one of the best parts of Office 365 was I was about ready to jump out of my chair. <laughs> it was that awesome. And so they really seem, these students really seem to understand this growth mindset that we keep talking about that have permeated our first two podcasts. Exactly. And the other piece that uh, goes along with that is the fact that they always ask questions and they recommend the teachers and students both ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Don't just sit there confused and frustrated, but ask a question. Go find someone that can help you. One of the other things that I really liked, which I hope maybe opens a lot of teachers' eyes that are listening to this, is that students we may think have a strong background with technology, but their strong background is the social media, the Tumblr, the Snapchat, the Twitter, the Facebook, the you name it this week. For those of us who are old enough, we remember MySpace and Instant Messenger, which you can actually still use with Skype, just so you know. But like, that's where most of the students' knowledge is. Like when they mentioned like how to save a file, how to move a file, how to do some of these basic computer things that we, we take for granted that we know how to do. That's like, that is where the disconnect is for the students. It's it's not just about sending text messages on their phone, but like how to actually use the computer. So I thought that was a really great point yeah, that they made. Excellent point. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Mike. goes along with the whole idea of collaboration, right? Teachers and mm -hmm. students need to work together to fill in these gaps. Yeah, this was a fantastic interview with a lot to take away. Uh, I encourage you. If you are interested in hearing more about what Denise Cardona is doing with her students, email her. I'm sure she is glad to take questions. And if you are at SciTech, maybe she'll even send a student on down to you. Coming up next, our wrap up.
So to wrap up this week, one of the things that our question of the week is going to be about is discussion boards. So whether you read the post or not, hopefully you'll respond to this. But how do you use discussion boards in the classroom? We want to hear your examples, your experiences, whether they're good or bad. We want to be able to hear what you're doing with that. It's a great tool in Brightspace, and we highly suggest that you use it. Thanks for listening today. I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zarges. Check us out on Stitcher, iTunes in the future. Right now, we're just you can find this podcast and last week's on my SPS We Learn page. Thanks for listening.